Hello and welcome to this week's Grape Culture Podcast, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. So this week we're going to be discussing the brilliant You Don't Have to Like Me by Alida Nugent, which is a collection of essays on growing up, speaking out and finding feminism. I'm quite excited about this. Yes, I'm very excited about this. This was a good pick yay um but before we get delve into the book and it's very varied contents um kim would you like to talk about the wine we've got this week yes i would um i have chosen two wines both vegan for tonight um i should really stop saying that i've chosen two wines because you all know that we don't just drink <laughs> one bottle yeah. um both wines i chose for the same reason which is that the book title is called you don't have to like me and it's quite a varied book, as as Sam mentioned. There's a, it covers a lot of topics, it and does. I thought rather than try and and go too cerebral with any of it, or try and match the um really cool cover to any kind of labels, I just picked wines that get a bad rep or that we don't necessarily like. Um, so I have a Chardonnay and a Merlot. Um, I don't think the rest of the world feels the same way that I feel about Merlot. <laughs> But Merlot is just the worst nice. red wine that there is, and I don't like it, and it, it is always cheap, and it always gives me a headache. And Chardonnay, I think, is... You're tacky and I hate you. Yeah, widely oh, regarded as quite Chardonnay. a tacky wine. Yeah. And I have learned from my mum, who is, as I've mentioned before, you know, the very fussy white wine drinker, Chardonnay is the devil. It is. So basically, yeah. I'm going to have a really miserable podcast, because I don't <laughs> like Merlot, and I don't drink white wine, and I certainly don't want to drink shit white wine but we might be pleasantly surprised we might be pleasantly yeah. surprised and you do have bonus third wine to look forward to the end do which might have... be nicer for you yeah that's true so the white wine which we'll start with is um penguin sands oh penguin chenin chardonnay um <laughs> it is vegan as i've mentioned um it was one of the only vegan chardonnays that i could find and it came in at a cool three pounds 75 so oh god it's gonna be for me i at least go for the four pound 50 and above it's gonna be the best wine we've ever had but <laughs> one glass of wine is 91 calories so you know if you give a shit about calories <laughs> yeah if you want to lose weight in, in don't have taste buds okay so anyway it's penguin sans chenin chardonnay easy drinking smooth style crisp fresh white wine with citrus flavors pineapples crispy fruity <laughs> and fresh crispy apparently <laughs> crusty <laughs> a complex and fruity white balancing crisp refreshing citrus notes with stone fruit flavors a perfect match for marinated chicken or grilled fish. That's basically just every fruit that they've been like, oh, maybe one of these will land. It probably <laughs> tastes like this kind of wine. Um, cheers! Cheers! cheers. Mm. I'm already gagging. It doesn't... Oh. Oh. It smells gross. Yeah, it does. It smells like farms. Oh. It doesn't taste as bad as it smells. I've heard that before. <laughs> joke is within the realms of humour of the book we're about to discuss. Yeah, okay. so, that's a so good what? point. So we'll let it slide. Yeah. Oh, that's the tone of this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Great. Um, what does everyone think initially? I am pleasantly surprised, actually, once you get past the smell. I think that that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, 
it's nowhere near like again i'm not a huge dry white wine fan um this is a good level of dryness for me camilla like you're about to my shout s- my second sip was less good yeah it's it's going on a downhill it's kind of oily oily not buttery yeah, yeah greasy greasy <laughs> oh. man it's kind of greasy greasy wine i'm gonna i'm gonna see how it goes judgment. yeah i yeah. i find so i've still got a cold so i can't really taste it properly anyway but um i find that chardonnay and this one weirdly tastes almost like it's trying to be fizzy but not it's like when you have an apple that's sat around a bit too long and it's got that weird, like, yeah. that weird fissitude to it. Or, like, you know, yeah. a pasta salad that you buy and then and it it's tastes... it's got a bit warm. Yeah, and yeah. it tastes a bit fizzy, like a bit lemonade yeah. but because it's going off. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's what it tastes like. Kim is gagging. Great. Legitimately gagging. Oh, not in a drag just... sense, but in a... Oh, this, this conversation makes me want to be sick. Okay. Like, I, I just, everything that you're describing is not appealing at all. What do you mean? Gone off almost fizzy wine. <laughs> Yay! But the important thing is that we don't have to like it. That um, is the point. <laughs> which leads us back round to the book. So, um, once again, that book is You Don't Have to Like Me, Essays on Growing Up, Speaking Out and Finding Feminism by Alida Nugent. So, the reason that I chose this book for us to talk about um, is I was listened to one of the many podcasts I listened to about books as you do and um it mentioned how 2018 was the year of feminist literature about anger and about like being unlikable being angry being outspoken and so I was looking at articles about books along that vein that I thought were interesting and a lot of them were sort of coming out in the coming months and we weren't able to get hold of yet and I reckon that we'll probably end up talking about them down the line um and then this one came up in an article and it just really stuck out to me for a lot of reasons the title obviously um just really kind of hit home exactly what I was thinking about and then on top of that it, it felt like it was coming from a place that was closer to my age and my experience. Um, and finally, the author, Aliden Nugent, is half Irish, half Puerto Rican. She identifies as... Biracial. Li- biracial. Um, and so I, I'm trying to, as I've mentioned before, diversify our reading, diversify um, the, the voices that we're hearing from. We're very aware of the fact that we are three white women talking about feminism and that that can be quite dismissive and we want to make sure that we're including voices uh, different to ours so that's a bit of the history of why i chose this book in particular what were your guys first impressions of it i okay so top line i loved this book i thought it was brilliant i really enjoyed it yes oh just for context in our personal book club i basically never picked a book that i think everyone (laughs) (laughs) this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened yes no i love this book i will say that it was not entirely what i expected because of the title um Mm -hmm. you don't have to like me and as you said kim 2018 was the year for feminist anger in literature um it was considerably less angry and considerably more reflective than I expected it to be. I think I I think I agree with that. That's 
well put. I have thoughts about um the rage, the the anger in the book. Yeah. Um, that I'll go into, but first I'd like to hear Alex's impressions of the book. Yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't know quite what to expect as well, having, uh, you know, read the title. Really loved the front cover, but we can talk about that a little bit later anyway. Um, and when presented with it, uh, Kim presented it to me with her little tabs in it as well. And I was like, wow. <laughs> a little typo tabs. It definitely feels like homework. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I was, I have to be honest, I wasn't looking forward to picking it up and thought, wow, a selection of essays. Like, I'm going to have to like write my notes and really take it in. And I can't just like, you know, read it after a hard day at work. Um, but I did. I powered through. And actually, I'm really glad I did because I found it hugely relatable um funny um I read out loud some of like quotes (laughs) from the book uh to my partner who then chuckled himself um yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it yes I have um bookmarked all the well some of the bits I found funny if I'd done it to all of them they'd be on each page um (laughs) and we'll put on Instagram a picture of my book but it has a multicolored hedgehog rainbow sticking out of one side of it where I've marked pages that I thought were yeah. funny. And I think I'd feel like yeah. it was more like homework if I'd been presented with yours. Yeah. Kim's was a little bit more... Well, mine's mine, my copy, yeah, my copy also has several um, pink tabs in it. Um, and I think when I gave it to Alex, I was like, you can take my tabs if you want to make notes yourself. Because um, I'm a knob. Um, <laughs> I, well, I didn't say anything. I <laughs> tabbed a lot of ones that made uh, a lot of quotes that I thought were really thoughtful. Also ones that I really related to for like um, just future reference because I also really, really enjoyed this book. I I read it. It took me a while to read it because I had a cold and a headache for like what felt like three years when I was trying to read this book. And I had a whole sort of Sunday to myself to read incredibly slowly and keep putting it down and um not because I wasn't enjoying it but because some of it was really hard um but yeah I'm really really pleased that we are talking about it and I'm really mm-hmm. really pleased that um you you like it in terms of the anger issue um so when this when I, I mentioned when this first came up as a, a sort of a topic of conversation I've been thinking about these angry books and um a lot of the ones that I wanted to read uh, very much have in the title things like a history of it was rage a history of female anger and um fed up is one of them which is about emotional labor and very it was very clear that it was about anger uh, rage becomes her that's another one mm. um and this was a lot more subtle but I kind of liked it because because of that because it was outspoken um but it and it was angry but it wasn't I didn't feel like I was being shouted at because I'm already on that side and I did find it really accessible. But there was also um, every so often she'd sort of pepper it with language that we use all the time, but that in a sort of professional environment can be considered crass, like using the word ass or ass if you're American, uh, as she is. Um, And And, and what what a shitter or yeah, something like what that. what a shitter and um, cool, fuck off, you know, like go fuck yourself and that sort of stuff. So yeah, so those were my thoughts um, about the the rage, anger aspect of the book and also my general thoughts. Um, I'm wondering if there was a particular essay that resonated with you guys. So to summarise, before we get into our favourite essays, mm-hmm. what is actually included in the book for people who may not have read really it. Really good point. There are 13 essays in the book, as well as an introduction, obviously. 
And they're all on various different topics. So uh, one is on being born a girl and the expectations that we put on girls. One is on um, disordered eating and bulimia and eating disorders in general. One is on um, sex education for women and what you're taught growing up. Um, So there's a really wide variety of essays. Of those, Alex, which one did you think was your favourite? Um, I can't remember what it's called. I don't have access to a lovely book you. that has little tabs in it. You can have um, mine. Okay, thank you. Um, is it called Where Have You Been All My Life? An Ode to Female Friendships. Oh, I love um, that one. Which was, um, I just loved the talking about standing in line at the like women's toilets. Yes. And yes. how I'd never actually, even though we all kind of know that in those in those female toilets, you're going to go in and there's going to be women complimenting you. Yeah. You suddenly break down all these weird barriers of talking to strangers yeah. um, in small, intimate spaces. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, I love your hair. And like, we should be best friends. Uh, but you know that it's only a minuscule second of this kind of relationship that you create. And then suddenly you go back to normal life and yeah. people judge you and throw drinks on you and yeah. push in front of you to get to the bar. And it's just, I just, I'd never really like separated that. that. I do love having toilet friends though. Toilet friends, yeah. I love yeah. toilet friends. Do you know who the very embodiment of a toilet friend is? Jonathan Van Ness. <gasps> like he is every woman you've ever met in a toilet. Do you not think? Yeah, but all the time. Yeah, but all the, yeah. Like, that's him every day. You know well, who I'm talking about, don't you, Alex? Is it queer eyed? Yeah. Queer eyed guy. Right, okay, I'm yeah. on the same page. Yeah. Oh my god, yes! Yeah. <laughs> he is. I just need to triple check. Yeah, no, he is toilet person. friend. Yeah, he is toilet friend. And that's meant as a compliment, not. Yeah. Over enthusiastic, but also like, oh, I feel so warm, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Life um, affirming. Life affirming. Life affirming. You can have a very brief chat and then you'll always keep that person dear to your heart, but forget about them the next day because yeah. you were pissed. Yeah. That kind of person. That's so yes, right. that is the chapter I really enjoyed and related to because I'd never thought about it properly. And then looking back, university days, even days now, and you have those chats. But then also reflecting on my true friends, I'm really appreciating that. Yeah, there were some really nice levels in that. Yeah, I think I agree because that's definitely the essay that I um, tabbed the most. Um, partially because, aside from talking about women in the toilets, which is great, it also talks about... Um, trying really hard to be a good friend but not always being a good friend um and she even says i'm trying very hard to be a good friend i'm always working on being a good friend i love my friends dearly but i'm notorious for dropping off the radar (sighs) and forgetting to call back and being somewhat of a hermit and and many are not tolerant of this and um that really hit me deep in my heart because i am really quite shit i think i bookmarked that exact same yeah at texting my friends back and um you guys maybe don't notice this quite as much as I think my best friend that I've mentioned on the podcast before does because it will be sort of three, four days and I'll have had a message from her and I'll I'll have thought to myself, I really want to give this the time to reply. Yeah. Like give it proper consideration and then it's four days later and she's like Are you are you alive? Because I think <laughs> Just also tell because me, not once for yes. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't live near here, so that that's like a factor. Um, one part of that essay, though, that I didn't agree with necessarily was um, the the realms of friendship. Yeah, I yeah I didn't I identify with it. the realms it, that she identified. Yeah, with. yeah the exact realms. So that she had, the way that, that it is for people who, again who may not have read it, the way it's delineated is that you essentially have um, 
I think she describes it as friends who you wouldn't quite go to prison for, for but... Um, <laughs> you'd say you would. You'd say you would, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, the Sex and the City Women is how she describes it, and that's basically your closest friends. Um, then you have people who are near the inner circle who are quite new and you're really enjoying being around them and you want to tell them all your secrets and you're just really enjoying their company. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Kim, for just elbowing you. Um, and then there's like another group around that that are the friends you see on their birthdays and stuff and you always enjoy seeing and then there's another layer around that who are just kind of like you're perfectly happy to spend time with but you wouldn't actively seek them out i think was how it was described Mm. and then there's everyone else yeah and i didn't i didn't quite agree with that level of classification but i did i I did acknowledge that there are different layers of friends um yeah Yeah, it's probably a personal thing in terms yeah and i think how there's definite layers how you identify your friends is has to be personal um, in that essay as well, um, it spoke about this whole when you first meet a woman and you automatically judge them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And as much as I, you know, I like to see myself as a complete like I would always like someone before I hate before they give me a reason to hate them because you're a golden retriever because I'm a golden retriever at heart. But I did relate to that in terms of. I am maybe slightly more suspicious mm. yeah. of a new woman in my life. Um, and so therefore, as much as I'm like, I completely accept you um, and maybe not as harshly judging them as she was describing in, in this particular essay, um, I, I definitely related to that as well. Yeah. And, and actually probably never really properly thought about it. And I, I agree in that part that she's talking about that, she's also talking about how that's why it's so hard to make female like Ooh. friends as an adult and that part really re- resonated with me because as i've mentioned before in the podcast i moved here and met you guys and made friends with you guys but it was a a conscious effort to do that to make friends with you mm. and um sam definitely thought that i was stuck up when she first met me as, as many people do i think yeah. um and that it was <laughs> well, there, yeah. are, there are still there are still times when I think you can be stuck up. I, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. there are documented but, facts but of yeah. this being true. Yeah, exactly. But we embrace that about you now. But yeah, it was a conscious effort and to to be friends, to maintain that friendship, and yeah. I'm very very grateful for it. And I really liked in that section um, where she talked about how nice it is to have women as allies and not look at them as enemies Mm. yes and we should all do that and i think part of that is because in any um in any circle in any environment where we are trying to succeed as women in the dating game in um success in school there are so few people succeeding that we are automatically pitted against against each other i think that's really prevalent in things like Hollywood you see it really well um where two women can't be on a film together without being accused of being on a feud in a feud right yeah um and it's because it's not just us that's pitting ourselves against other women it's the world society because if you pit women against each other then they don't have time to take down the men for treating them like shit so true I mean we've got so much to fight against let's not fight against each other as well Yeah. yeah pretty much have you um, got a particular quote from that essay that you liked, Kim? Alex, I know the book's not in front of you, but... Um, I probably did, but um, I don't have... I didn't have the tabs, so maybe <laughs> Kim can enlighten us. I did offer you the tabs. I know you did, I... I know, but I didn't want to be, like, doing homework. I had one which 
Go resonated on. particularly with me at the moment because I have been a bit flaky and crap. Um, and it was that good friends are the kind you can cancel on again and again and they will still forgive you. And I feel like that about you guys. So thanks for being good friends. Yeah, yes. but I think, no, but I think we do all do that, yeah. actually. And I, I, know, I know we've had this chat separately to yeah. the podcast. Is um, I think, actually, growing up and embracing yourself is knowing that, actually, I do just want a night in. Yeah. yeah. Or... Um, I don't really want to go to that engagement and I'm really tired. So <laughs> I know I'm we've been planning this it. for months, but also I want to sit exactly. down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. And I think, you know, that's yeah. so important. So yeah, actually I, really I remember that, that and yeah. that quote and I, that did resonate with me as well. Yeah. Um, there was a paragraph at the end of the essay that um, I really liked because it was so broad ranging um, about sort of how to be a good friend or like, an opinion on how to be a good friend for the same reasons kind of I think that you drew out the be flaky and your good friends counsel on them I won't read the whole thing but I'll just sort of skim it down to um sort of the the second half um because I think it felt the most relevant to where we've been in the last year sort of us personally but also the world be there use caution when criticizing their significant others but never stand silent and watch them get hurt let them know when they are too drunk or too angry or being unfair let them know when they get stagnant give them unsolicited advice give them the love give them good presents talk shit when necessary listen help them pick out a haircut tell them they are pretty tell them they are smart tell them how to ask for a raise at work set aside whole days for them be there and don't break plans twice in a row yeah and it was especially the way that it ends with the twice in a row because it's like you're human you break plans yeah um and that that was was definitely this one of the standout essays sam i we kind of railroaded you a little bit by talking about it was it this one of the essays that resonated with you the most yes um as we've the points we've touched on definitely um as we mentioned the, the levels of friendship and the way she describes them not so much um but there were two that i really liked um more than the others and there wasn't a single one actually to be fair that i was like now that's irrelevant or i don't relate to that or whatever there was a point even mutt which is about her being biracial and uh, sort of trying to assert her identity either as um someone from a puerto rican mother or from an irish father the first one that i thought was really good and relatable was your beauty is magic on loving my face yeah um and this was an essay that was basically about accepting your appearance in its most fundamental way but accepting that sometimes you can be beautiful sometimes you're not and that's fine (laughs) and you don't have to go get out the shower you know looking like a drowned rat going oh my makeup's all down my face you don't have to look in the room and be like i'm beautiful you can just be like i'm okay now but i can be beautiful i I think she said something about like when she looked in the mirror when she just put her hair up or something like that when she was getting the shower do you ever do it where you like clip your hair up before you get in the shower you're like how did I do this? Oh, it or, looks amazing. And then you try to achieve it again before you like go to work and you're like, this looks shit. Or at the hairdressers, when they do it for you, when they're cutting and you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> and then they move it and you're like, oh, it's gone. I never, <laughs> I never feel uglier than when I'm at hairdressers. <laughs> really? Why? When they put that, ke- well, because I have my hair professionally dyed and um, I don't £3.50 <laughs> <laughs> they do all the foils <laughs> and you've got the one. little cape on and you're looking at yourself and, and I'm usually hungover and I'm just like what because the night before a hairdresser appointment is the time to get pissed we're normally drinking the night oh, before yeah, okay, she goes yeah, to the hairdresser yeah. 
Precisely. <laughs> and I just look at myself and I'm like, I've never been more ugly. And especially because I don't, this is awful, I don't shower the day before, the day I go to the hairdressers. Because, because they wash your hair for you. they wash your hair for you. And also the your head. dye it sits better on the dirty hair. Yeah. Um. So I just, I'm always just like, I look awful. I am the ugliest I've ever been. But fortunately my hairdresser has a chihuahua, so then I just cuddled a chihuahua and I'm with it. Dog cuddles make everything better. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there was a so, really, yeah. um, there was a point here that, there were several points in this essay that I think are really interesting for any really interesting for anyone who is struggling with self acceptance or whatever, which is to be honest, All everybody, yeah. um, male or female, male or female. But there was one line that I liked because I identified with it, and it was uh, the thing about this is that I have very little interest in being a natural beauty. I prefer to look slightly unnatural. I'm someone that if I can, I will go for an outfit that makes me feel like I'm in a costume. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, so true. So. <laughs> Because I feel comfier being someone else than being Sam. Um, so that line, I was like, yeah, if I could, yeah, yeah. That but would I sum think, up my I think aesthetic. so much of your aesthetic is you, like you say, you feel more comfortable being someone else than being you. Like, it's still you, but it's you whose rich husband died unexpectedly <laughs> my, in mysterious yeah. circumstances, what? which is a, a look that Sam and I send each other very frequently <laughs> which is like long robes with feathers marabou and like... trim and like we've just swan down a marble staircase so like the police <laughs> have walked in from 1930 and been like your husband was poisoned ma'am and then we're like poisoned but why no but what about the will like that kind of look is very much what i would wear all day if i could like Cruella de Vil, but not May West scary. meets Cruella de Vil. Exactly. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say on. that's truly you, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I suppose what she's talking about is the fact that no, she's, what a... you identify yeah. as is your true self. Yeah, And exactly. so if you identify as this lady that's poisoned her husband... A rich, murderous widow. <laughs> yeah, then fair. You yeah. do that. You be you. She says wearing, you go, Sam. wearing <laughs> jeans and a Primark top. <laughs> you know what? Everyone's got to, like, run errands and shit. So. <laughs> yeah but no I really liked that essay I thought it had some really good points you said there was another one as well um, there was there another one um, the other one was dun, dun, dun. sex ed for young women and I think it's fairly obvious why I picked up on that because sex is my day job which is not saying I'm a prostitute I just work with... <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with being a sex worker I should point that out sex worker friendly and inclusive but that's not my job um so there was this is all about the things we talk about sex as young women um and there was a line in it that i liked again because of my day job which was uh this was all learned through trial a lot of error and a little research i'm certainly not what one would call a sexpert which i believe is shorthand for surprise him wearing a tie and only a tie (laughs) or put an ice cube in your mouth and go down on someone (laughs) And I have been described in various publications as a sexpert, and I can confidently say I've never done either of those things. I thought of you when I read that because of the phrase sexpert. Yeah. <laughs> I also really liked that, the sex ed for young women, and it reminded me a lot of um, the Take It, Take it as a Compliment yes. um, graphic memoir yes. that we talked about recently. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, more significantly to me, um, the conversation about like virginity uh, there's there's two sections of this oh, essay yes. called virginity isn't a big deal brackets we're starting off strong here um, and then she goes off on a little tangent 
Um, but in bold, she says, sticking a penis in a vagina isn't the only definition of sex. Yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. And yes. sort of that went through. And then she goes, okay, back to our regularly scheduled programming. And then the next section is called back to why virginity isn't a big deal. And then probably one of my favorite quotes in the whole thing, which is, I did not lose my virginity. I know exactly where it went. And yep. um, that I was like, yeah, yeah. Because I've read so many things, which is the idea that someone can take your virginity is the patriarchal idea that a man's penis is powerful enough to change a woman's soul. Mm. And um, Yeah, that's really... In- I, do you know what? I've never thought about that. And it's yeah. bullshit. And I always think about that. Uh, well, not always, not all, every waking minute of every day, but I think I'm about buying it. courgettes. I'm thinking about Take penises. down the patriarchy! <laughs> but I, you know, I see quotes like that and I've seen and this quote and similar and I always think that's so fucking true because when I lost my virginity, the power that that supposedly gave the person um, that I had consensual sex with for the first time, um, it it gave him a weird kind of power that I think is wrong and I think that it was completely mis... I can't think of the word. Mis... Misconstrued? No, Mis- misplaced. Misplaced, yes. Yeah. Misplaced yeah. is probably closer. To say, to say he'd taken your Yeah, facility. and it was yeah. so much of... It was, you know, it was something that was kind of lorded over or yeah. used to malign me later on and things like that. And I yeah. just think the whole concept of virginity is Virginity wrong. is a social construct. It is true that having sex in or any kind of sexual experience for the first time is a decision that you can put a lot of weight in and makes you feel a particular way. Um, In this essay, she talks about how she wasn't exactly in love with the person that she slept with, but she did trust them and she liked them and that Mm -hmm. that was the choice that she made. Um, But she also says, you know, for some people, it means a lot more to that. Some people want to, you know, some people want to wait until their wedding night. Some people don't. And um, I think that that's a really significant thing. And the choices that I made around my my virginity and virginities and air quotes the entire time were very important to me and I think that's kind of why I liked this phrase so much because it makes it makes that agency so clear because I did I did not lose my virginity I made the choice to sleep with the person that I made and if I went back in time I would probably make that same choice because for all that he turned out to be a fuckwad (laughs) at the time that was the right choice the views expressed by Kimberly are not those of the great culture. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, no. I am joking. They are They are the view. He was a fuckwad. Yeah. He was a fuckwad. Um, but I also really enjoy the fact that she doesn't use the phrase lose... And it, as you, you know, the quote you pointed out, I didn't lose it. It's the, I stopped being a virgin, is mm-hmm. the way she talks about it. And I've heard other people talk about it as, I shared my virginity. And there's an entirely new language developing around the concept of virginity, because the concept of virginity is just that, a concept... And I think it was a really interesting way to read that in this essay, and I think that's a really good point. Yeah, yes. lose implies lose implies your, some sort of yeah, like you say, you don't you're have not to take choice for or it. like it's just oh, it's gone. I'm going to give you also, my precious virginity. It's like no, and, and by and giving it, it implies it that they own it without yeah. your yeah, that they own it now. So yeah. does I mean give does he own that now? No, no, no because no, yeah. Uh, before we move on, I want to share one of my favourite quotes. Okay, please do. From um, all the diets I've been on, 
Uh, I've not read this one. I did have to skim uh, over this one because I didn't have enough time. So this is the one I skim re- like read and uh, enjoyed just before I came here. And um, and even though it mentions about early morning workouts, which I do do, but the only yeah. reason I do do them is for the reason that she uh, talks about. So it says, I can't give up delicious things and I don't want to. And I'm much happier when I don't. I want to treat myself on a consistent basis and I don't want to get up early every morning to work out. So instead of desiring to be thin when I don't want to put the work in, I will happily learn to love my body, treat it properly and reward it with delicious, horrible crap when I so desire. Yay! That is, yeah. That is literally my, like, so I do get up early and go to workouts so I can eat the delicious crap crap. in so much abundance that it cancels it out. So I feel like that sums up my life. Good. Nice. So before we move on to the next points, um, how has everyone found the Penguin Sands, which is gone? Well, it's gone. It's gone? Yeah. It was all right. It was was fine. It was much better than I was expecting. That's not to say it was the best wine I've ever had. It was just when you have low expectations, you can only go up. It was plonk. (laughs) It was plonk. Yeah. You know, for £3.50 or whatever it was. It was a supermarket. I'd take it to a house party. That is, to me, shit, we've run out of booze. Someone needs to go next door and grab another bottle. You run and you pick that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, it's wine I would put in a wine cocktail. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> it was, I didn't particularly enjoy drinking it at any point. Um, but for £3.75, going... I wasn't expecting it to be the best yeah. thing that I've ever had. Producer Holly did tell me at, uh, during a break that it's given her a headache. And she has had half a glass. So make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, we get to move on to Merlot. Yay! <laughs> the reason that I don't like Merlot is that Merlot is like... First of all, it's always the cheapest wine in a bar. And it's always open and going slightly off. And it's usually too warm and therefore for all those reasons tastes bad and will give you a headache number two people talk about merlot like it's the best fucking wine in the world they're like oh but i love a chilean merlot and oh but i'll have the merlot and then they look at the wine list and go "Mm, i'll have the 2017 merlot fuck (laughs) off with your merlot also merlot is one of the only wines that gives me a hangover like i i'm blessed in that I don't get hangovers very often. Um, and I certainly don't get them very severely. I get like a couple of really severe ones a year. Um, and I drink a lot of wine. I drink a lot of red Maybe wine. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, because I, I don't really get them. Maybe it's because we drink so much. I think if you stick to the same wine, like if you stick to the same drink, you are less likely to get a hangover. But also, don't drink cheap stuff. There's obviously something in a, a Merlot grape that doesn't agree with me. Read us the description, Kim. Let's, I will. Let's hear this Merlot. Yeah. So what's cool. the name of the Merlot? Elegido? 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 I mean, say, saying it with that tone. I feel like it mark. might be a hard G, but I could be Elegido. E-L-E-G-I-D-O. Wines of Chile. Merlot. Um, this is the Sainsbury's Winemakers Collection. Is vegan. Um, Chile Central Valley is the country's most important wine-producing region where long, hot days combined with the Pacific's cooling influence at night helps grape develop maximum flavour. Our winemakers have created a red that has plum and chocolate on the nose and spicy truffle notes, delicious with a gourmet burger. 
Fuck off. What's wrong with a normal burger? Delicious with a Big Mac. This is my fucking point. <laughs> People who say, I'll have the Merlot, wouldn't, have the Merlot. wouldn't eat a Big Mac. Well, they'd have to have a gourmet burger. They'd have to have a fucking punch is what they'd have to get. Anyway, <laughs> pour us the wine, please. High hopes for this Merlot. Alex, can you just hold that That's so I close to the mic. It. That's just going to be... <laughs> I also, for the record, one of the most annoying things about Merlot is that they always take, sometimes they taste deceptively nice and then you feel like death. Great, I look forward to tomorrow. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Thus far, it tastes a little bit like when you get a nosebleed and you taste blood in your mouth. Wow. Um, Okay. I was not going to go with that. I was going to go, it tastes like clay. I right, li- well, okay. my, different my, strokes, different folks. My taste is completely off. <laughs> I tasted like raspberries or something, so you know. Plum and a, tro- a chocolate aroma, I believe it's supposed to have. Plum and okay. I definitely do get the um the spicy like notes in it. Mm, yeah. So it's a bit figgy. Figgy. Fig. Fig roll. No, because I think fig's really sweet. I don't think this is a sweet. I'm getting sweetness. I from think it. it's really sweet. Yeah, but mainly because I can taste it. So one of the questions that comes up in our book club questions for nonfiction um, is why do we think the author chose to write the book? So why do we think Alida Nugent chose to write this book? I think she kind of touches briefly on why, but I think there are obviously her own reasons. Um, and I think one of the reasons is because she's writing as a feminist but she's also making the point that just because you're a feminist you don't have the same experience as other feminists and she's writing her own in an attempt to um communicate that her experiences are sometimes universal sometimes not and you can't assume that just because someone is a feminist they will have the same viewpoint and the same life experience as you Mm. and that there's no one way to be a feminist and there's no one way to be a feminist it's completely normalizing it really isn't it it's it's saying, uh, you know, she touches on like, oh, you're at that party and then someone goes, oh, well, you're a feminist, so you, you must hate men and all this stuff. Um, oh, yeah, you got it in one baby. Yeah, exactly. All the preconceptions. Um, and then um, and she normalises it and goes, actually, I was this person. Then I realised this. This yeah. is OK. This is great. And you're you're going along with her for the ride. And the the essays are kind of almost laid out like start to finish of her life mm. and so there's a progression yeah, yeah like you know she talks about her heritage and then she talks about being a baby girl and then you know school so school friends and yeah, yeah. so on and so forth so you kind of go oh i can relate to these chapters at times of my life as well and then you go i'm a feminist as well yeah. i mean i don't know if you would pick it up and, and read it if you weren't already identifying as one but here's a hope that people do I think I think it would be a, a good gift to give to um, a young teen who is learning. Um, would you specify gender on that? No, mm. a young teen yeah. who is learning, um, and I think that's one of the things that I really like about the book, and I think it's one of the reasons I think that she wrote it is that it's quite an inclusive book. I think as well um, when you said you you pointed out the moment that she says you're at a party and people go oh you must hate men Mm. i think that she wrote it as a reaction to that kind of attitude Mm, that we are still getting which is that kind of vitriol that you get 
um, for saying that you're a feminist and having to constantly defend yourself um, and defend that you you don't hate men, you don't want all men to burn at the stake. That's that that's not what it is. And she outlines very early on like what a feminist is, the the dictionary definition. Um, but she she acknowledges that that vitriol, that sort of aggression that you receive from saying that. And um, one of the quotes that I tabbed was. Uh, saying you're a feminist is like making a comment comment on the internet in real life and I was like that really that really summed up because people on the internet they hide behind it and they are a lot more aggressive and she's this feels like a collection of essays that yes is to talk about her her awakening to feminism in the hopes of awakening other people to feminism and making them comfortable in their skins as feminists but also as a kind of, well, fuck you, because I am, and I'm going to write yep. a book about it, and yep. let me write a book about it. I think that quote, again, Alex mentioned that you've expanded on it, um, about the thing at a party and it being like a comment on the internet in real life. Um, I'm going to cite an example here from both Alex and mine past, which is we did, as I've mentioned before, we did a module in our third year, which was called Theatre and Feminism, Um the gender split was, I think uh, we had something like 25, 30 girls and one guy, didn't we? Mm. Um, and the very first thing that happened in, this is our third year of uni, like I said, and the first thing that happened was that the tutor went, okay, who identifies as a feminist? One person raised their hand. We didn't raise our hands. We did not raise our hands. God, I'm really ashamed. Yeah. Of my third year and now I look back on that so... and I'm like, 21 year old Sam is a fucking knob. Mm. Yeah, and actually, well, she touches on that, and the fact yeah. that she was, like, and the fact that she evolved. evolved. Yeah, but then I think that's because we don't understand what that word meant. And right. it was when it was when the tutor went into it and was like, you know, delved into some of the issues here is is that it's not, um, it that feminism is a is a term that has been, um, shamed by a lot of people, and you're presented with an idea of hairy smelly lesbian yeah. who and if you want to be a hairy smelly lesbian that's entirely up to you no, no shame um but you are presented with one idea of feminism from an early age in a way that is it juxtaposed to what it means to be a woman inverted mm-hmm. quotes which puts you off it and yeah. we've been taught to avoid the word feminism yeah and i i mean i've definitely uttered i think she mentions it in the book um the immortal phrase i'm not a feminist i'm a humanist mm-hmm. i've def- mm-hmm. definitely said that and obviously now i don't <laughs> um but yeah i think the whole point or, or a significant point of the essays is like we've said she transitioned from that moment where you try and shy away from it to boldly and owning your kicking down a door and be like i'm a feminist yeah, fuck yeah. you do you I, like it I, good I, here do comes not? a feminist ladies and gentlemen and we won't go into this right now um this is a conversation for another another day in terms of feminist being a dirty word yeah. but i think the word feminist because it is femme very much becomes it is the women's battle yeah, it yeah. is women against men and stuff like that which it very much isn't and it's about yeah. equality and stuff like that that's a conversation for another time one thing i did want to say that one person that put her hand up in that in that workshop she is now a teacher so yes the future is bright because she's obviously like she owned being a feminist and she's going out and teaching the young yeah. people and adults so how's everyone finding the elegido merlot um i'm uninspired by this 
Yeah. I again, this feels like the chronic sellers that we had a couple of episodes ago. Um, in that, it's hard to get through. It's not as much of a disappointment as the chronic sellers, but then I didn't have high hopes for it. I have shuddered whilst taking sips of this. I prefer um, the Chardonnay. I just don't like either of the ones that we drank tonight. <laughs> and that's fine because I don't have to like them. Hmm. We. Um, I want to talk about the book title on the cover. But before I do that, I feel like we all have bits of this book that we want to talk about because it's so broad ranging. And there are essays that we really haven't acknowledged um, a lot and I really, really, really encourage people to read this yep. and um, come back to us and email us and leave us comments on social media and everything because I'd be really, really interested to hear further thoughts about this. I feel like I'm going to be talking about it for a while. Mm. Um, so before I start talking sort of about the aesthetics of the book, Sam, you start. Would you like to share a quote, a part of an essay, any sort of thoughts that we haven't uh, talked about that don't fit into any of our Our other points points that we've made so far. Yes, this is one that I particularly liked, which is from the introduction where she talks about how she kind of found herself as a feminist and that discussion about the parties and um, defending yourself as a feminist. Um, And this, I really enjoyed this. If you're worried about the effects of feminism, and you are a man, it's probably because you are worried that men will start to be treated like women have been treated since the dawn of time. By yeah. this, I mean worse, which makes you nervous, no doubt. Now burn me! Burn me at the stake like the witch I am! Yeah. Um, it, this concept of, oh shit, maybe men are nervous because we'll start to be treated in the same way, and it's not that we'll be treated better, they'll be treated worse, I thought was like a really novel take on the feminism. Mm. Alex, did you have anything? I shared my favourite quote about the eating all the crap, but um, <laughs> one qualm I did have about the book Ooh, is I am a massive, massive Harry Potter fan, <laughs> um, and I listen to it every night, read by the cooling, uh, soothing voice of Stephen Fry, um, <laughs> which helps me drift off to sleep so beautifully. Um, and she said something. She's got actually. A few Harry Potter quotes in there, or a few Harry Potter references. She's a nerd. We love her. She's a nerd, which I absolutely adore. Um, But she said something about uh, when she was younger and making. It might have been in my favourite essay. Um, I couldn't find it when I was looking through, but um, it was about how that her and her friends were watching Harry Potter, and in the point that she was saying, she said that they liked to pause the DVD or video or whatever it was. The VHS. Um, the VHS. To look at um, stills of Oliver Wood's bottom, or ass in American, as he was reaching for the Fanny. golden snitch. And I'm like, no, no. Oliver Wood was the goalkeeper. Harry Potter was the... What is the Seeker. 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 Oliver Wood does not find the snitch. So what you're saying is Alida Nugent in this book has completely undermined every argument <laughs> because she cannot correctly identify the players in Quidditch. I was going to say, um, if that's the biggest criticism you have of this book, I think that we've succeeded. is a pretty good testament to this yeah, book. Yeah, I mean, fair, I really appreciated and really enjoyed every other point that she made, but a little part of me was a little bit 
not upset, but disappointed. Perturbed. <laughs> by this comment that she made. Kim, did you have any others that you wanted to I have to a couple of things. There were a couple of points that, uh, quotes that I just want to quickly spit out and then I want to talk about one of the essays that we've not really talked about. So one of the quotes was in the introduction. Um, I think it was, it was the first thing that I tabbed, shockingly enough, because it's in the introduction. Um, it reminded me of why I wanted to pick this book up in the first place about talking about sort of anger and, and women protecting themselves through this kind of thing. Um, and it, it was the first inkling that I had that this book was a bit more subtle than rage. Um, it was... Uh, we know that we can always be wrong about the people we let our guard down around. We know why we are always scared. So to make us feel safer, we give give each other tips. Um, and I think that 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 really stuck with me. I I, I think about the sort of messages that I've sent to friends, um, or received from friends. I think about this basically every day. I have a, an hour-long commute to and from work every day um, that involves me leaving my car in a car park that has a few lights, but not that many. And um, it's winter at the moment when we're recording this. So I always try to park my car under a light. And I, every time I'm in my car, scrabbling around for something that's fallen out of my bag, I think to myself, make sure you lock your door. Like, as soon as you get in your car, drive away. Don't faff around trying to do things. You can find it later if you've lost it. It's not the end of the world. Just start driving because the quickest way that someone can get control over you in this situation is getting into your car and making you drive. And um, I can't lock my car from the inside. So that... <laughs> can you not? <sighs> my dad broke it. <laughs> um, Papa! Yep, so... Uh, yeah, in his so that... TV room with no heaters. <laughs> When he's got no heat, he just goes to smack <coughs> So yeah, um, that one really stuck with me. On a lighter note. On a lighter note. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the quote about um, I am notorious for dropping off the radar and forgetting to call back and be, being somewhat of a hermit. And many are not tolerant of this. The rest of that quote that I didn't say that really, really struck home for me, and I think that Sam and Alex are going to agree with this, which is, I make up for it by getting them drunk on the giant bottles of wine I always keep in my house and yep. getting them incredible birthday and Christmas presents, which makes me feel like a deadbeat father on television. Obviously, <laughs> that is Kim. And of course, you're going to like, and I knew you were going to talk about it. Cool. Because, yeah, I mean, we record in my flat. There's always alcohol of some description. It might not always be the best alcohol. It might be Frangelico. It might be Frangelico. Or how I was greeted when I came today, which was, <laughs> you can have some gin and some reasonably flat tonic. Tonic, pretty I much. enjoyed it. And yeah, that one just, just made me laugh. The last um, thing that I'm just going to mention it quickly, because we haven't really gone into it, and I think that it's probably a topic for another podcast mm-hmm. and something that is quite dark and we've had so much discussion about other things that I don't want to bog us down with this at the end of the podcast, but I really, I have to acknowledge the essay in the um, collection, which is Shrink, which is about her struggles with an eating disorder. Um, and I've, I've not struggled with an eating disorder, although I've um, struggled with everyone thinking that I had an eating disorder, which isn't the same thing, but can still be quite difficult to deal with. Um, and, I have known a lot of people that have struggled with it and it just, it was a really, really raw essay. It was really difficult to read and it was really, really powerful. And I really appreciated um, her her sharing this essay with us. Um, and I, I think I warned 
you both mm. um, that this was one that was going to be hard to read and feel free to skip it but that read it in your own time maybe not for the podcast but just that I think that it was going to be an important one to read and there was a quote in it which was um, bulimia happens because of how bad how awful we treat people who are fat bulimia happens because losing weight results in a compliment and that really got to me because as I say I, I don't have that struggle but I have some struggles and I know people with pretty severe body dysmorphia and um, it's true because I think the most common phrase that my dad uses if I lose a little bit of weight is look how well you look and the truth is that sometimes I don't and I distinctly remember coming back from uni where I hadn't like eaten in a couple of weeks because I'd broken up with someone I was extremely extremely miserable like I'd, I'd not really been eating very well again it wasn't anything disorder it was just a bout of you know the sads and he went you look well and I remember oh, thinking no. do I because I look grey and shit and it's that twisted idea that because you You're are thin. skinny you look well no it's fine it's just that um, for many years I was too stone underweight just because of how I was um and for years during those years I was told how beautiful and how skinny I was and I have I look back on those pictures now and I'm like you look great and you look unwell and I'm happier now and I just thought that it was a really really powerful essay even though I do not have the same struggle it was important to read it on a a side note um about dads talking about weight um, I remember being completely mortified because my friend, um, who was a dance, well, she's still a dancer, but she was training, massive, like, health freak, um, had beautiful, pert, double D breasts. Oh, what a bitch. And, like, size six. <laughs> we don't compete, like, you know, we don't compete. No, but, like, but... the most, like, idyllic, perfect yeah. figure ever. And, um, she went through a breakup, um, went through a few rough patches put on loads of weight but not like what maybe she became a 10 or a 12 or something like that but um filled out quite noticeably from her smaller frame and um she came around to mine because she liked to come to mine because my dad cooked very spicy food and she enjoyed spicy food and he just went my friend's name insert um you look so well i'm so pleased like you look so healthy and I, at the time, was mortified because I knew that she had been struggling with this weight gain. Um, But then she turned around and went, I dressed my dad by his name. I went, thank you. You're the first person that has said something positive about my weight gain. And, you know, she was so grateful for that. And that was so nice. So regardless of my embarrassment of my dad exclaiming this, um, she really enjoyed that. And, you know... She is perfectly happy and healthy now. She has never gone back to her tiny, slim, what we associate as perfectly skinny with double D breasts. Perfectly skinny can um, bite me. But mm. actually, she owns a house now. She's got a beautiful partner. And she's very happy. So we are reaching the end of our podcast. Uh, but before we leave, I'd like to discuss the cover of this book. Because we both have the same edition. And the edition that Alex borrowed is the same, exactly. <laughs> um... Because I don't buy my own editions, I just borrow. 
yeah, pretty much. Um, what did you think about the title, uh, You Don't Have to Like Me, and how it compared to the cover art on the book that we have, which you can see on Instagram if you are interested? I I think the title was really interesting, but maybe not fully related to the book. Like, I think we've already talked a little bit mm-hmm. about how we thought it was going to be a bit more angry and aggressive, which is not to say that either is bad or good but um it's another cover with a lot of pink which seems to be a theme and baby blue um and uh the cover depicts a flower that has vaginal connotations i think it's a vulvarific flower isn't it that's pretty much it favorite word and the (laughs) text as well is quite um grotesque it kind of reminds me of scooby Doo. scooby Doo. It reminds me, yeah, or, or Little Shop of Horrors. That's yeah. kind of Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, that kind of vibe. Um, and it's quite a, it's a very striking cover. It's not a, a harmonising cover. Like, the the font and the flower and the way it's kind of all crammed onto the page and then the background of the cover, it's, it's not in harmony. And I think that that's deliberate. And I also think the fact that the flower seems to almost be pushing the rest of the text yeah. away, um, and it's and is a vulvarific flower. It's kind of <laughs> just like it's in your face, and it's like <laughs> look at my vagina flower, and I like Aww. that because it's <laughs> it's quite nice. you know like it's here is my feminism. You like look at it, eat it. <laughs> So on that final note, um, I think it's time to rate some wines, rate some books. Uh, where would we like to start? Let's start with the wine. Yeah. Penguin Sands. Shall we? Yes. Penguin, Penguin Sands. Which sounds like a font that you don't... <laughs> like, it sounds like a font that's really old fashioned and you don't want to use for a poster. Oh, Garamond, no. Times New Roman. Oh, Penguin Sands. And everything's just a penguin. Um... <laughs> That was not as funny. As it's it really tickled me. Sorry, um, Penguin Sands was shit. Was it crispy? It was no. It I was oily and fresh. You know what it was? It was ordering fish and chips that you think is going to be really nice and flaky, and it's just solid. Oh, uh, that it sat there for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, what would you give the Penguin Sands, Kimberly? One, maybe two. Ooh, okay, I think. To be fair to it, it's a £3.75 wine and I didn't immediately spit it out and it's white wine. So I think that warrants a two. Yeah. Yeah, I think fair. fair. Um, Not exactly damning with faint praise, I think that's But as you pointed out, for its various parameters, I think that's fair. Alexandra, how about you? Um, I'm going to give it a two. I think, like you said in your description i would buy it as the last bottle of wine after like wow we've been drinking a lot all day and i really need like that extra bottle of wine to send us over the edge <laughs> and this send is us into the night. 50 to 375 this will do the job and i didn't despise it but i'm not gonna have it as my first drink uh two didn't i say yeah two, two. and for me i was <sighs> to say pleasantly surprised i think might be an overstatement but I hate Chardonnay and it was dirt cheap. So just for the pure 
base of my expectations versus what I actually got, I'm going to give it a 2. 2.5. A 2.5. On to the next one. The Chilean the Merlot. Merlot. Alexandra, oh, what did you think of the Elegido? Guido? To be fair, as a red wine, I didn't hate it. Okay. I'm going to mark it the same as the white wine because I'm usually a white wine drinker. Okay. Um, and, uh, but, uh, maybe... Maybe a 2.5 because I find it more palatable than the white wine. Interesting. And so therefore I'd be happy to drink that first and then maybe happy to drink the white wine second. But maybe not in one night because that's quite ambitious. What about you, Kimbersell? Well, given that you're smoothing my drunk hair, um, <laughs> I think that that is indicative a little bit. I uh, just, I, I wanted to be pleasantly surprised. It wasn't. I think if it's a wine that I shudder whilst drinking <laughs> after having drunk a glass of it and then having another sip and still shuddering whilst drinking. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, winemaker selection, Elegido, Elegido. I'm not your target audience. Um, I didn't I didn't like it. 1.5, 2. Wow. 1.5, probably. Mm-hmm. 1.5. Yeah. It was not great. No. And good red, yeah, man, I'm all on it. That weren't good red. <laughs> she did not hold a special place in my heart <laughs> or my face or your vagina flower or my what? vagina flower. No, <laughs> speaking of flower. the vagina flower, um, happier things. How did we all feel about the book? Loved it. Oh, I loved it. Like, I'm actually... Oh, you really... loved it, I, I did. I loved it. I sounded so West Country oh, then. I fucking loved it. It was Gert Lash. <laughs> oh, that makes me <laughs> a little bit sick. More so than the wine. Um, <laughs> I am sad that I had to hand it back to Kim before I... like. So I skim read the last couple of chapters because I had to run here. Um, I really loved her her voice, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. her um, tone of voice. Yeah, her, yeah. I sometimes really struggle with American writers and finding them relatable, not because they're American, but just their reference points are so different. And her tone of language, her just voice in terms of who we are as well as individuals, I thought was great. Bang on. Really loved yeah. it. How many, how many grapes are you giving it? I'm going to give it, because there's always room for improvement. A four point five. Honestly, I really like some of the points that she made. I was like, I'm going to input that into my life, and I think that's good. That's fair. Cool. So for me, it was a pleasant surprise. I was expecting it to be very angry. Not that there's anything wrong with being angry, like we said, but sometimes I don't want to read a book that is shouting in my face. This was a book that was outspoken without being forceful. It was a book that was confident without being cross. So for that reason and the reasons that Alex said where it is written in a tone of voice that feels like one of us, uh, I am going to give it a five. Nice. Well done. So I I put four on my Goodreads, but I think that, that as I've mentioned before, Goodreads, you can't do half stars. And um, Great. when I... Well, yes, I put four stars on my Goodreads. <laughs> Why are you just shouting, great, great? Because you can't do half stars on Goodreads. All right. But that is not indicative of, of how I truly, like, I know to myself, because it's personal reference, what I mean by that. Um, I I think I'm closer to Alex in the 4.5 grapes. Um, it's very close to five, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's a fantastic collection of essays. I'm not quite sure 
why I I didn't rate it at five. Um, it's I hard think, to give that per- yeah, like perfection I think, mark, isn't it? I think that there was... Um, I think that kind of mark is reserved for a book hangover. Yeah, I think that might be... I, you know what? I think I do know why. It's because, because of the circumstances in which I read it, in which I wasn't feeling my best. Like, I probably didn't engage with every aspect of it. I have certainly now that we've talked about it, but at the time when I rated it initially, I think that I didn't engage with every aspect. And I think there were elements of it which I didn't fully fully grasp but i really really think that it's an incredibly powerful selection of essays and i don't think five star uh five grapes apologize um i don't think five grapes or five stars or five watermelons or whatever you want to rate it (laughs) is unwarranted i just i think that i'm going to go and say stick with my original assessment um 4.5 because obviously i put four but can't do halves um 4.5 grapes i think it's fantastic and I will be posting, we will be posting about this on social media and I'm really, really excited to hear what other people thought about it. Yes. Um, and Alida Nugent, if you ever should hear this episode, please. Uh, <laughs> please be like, our friend. You're message awesome. us. We love, I love you. you. Um, really, really impressed. And I am going to buy Don't Worry It Gets Worse, which is yes. her other Yeah, book. me yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. So if you have enjoyed tonight's episode, you can get in touch with us and let us know. Uh, we are on Twitter, where we are at Grape Culture Pod, or we are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. Alternatively, you can check out our website and our show notes, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please come back in two weeks' time, where we are going to be talking about Bad Girls Throughout History, which is a book by Anne Shen. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.